the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Len Hochberg from Rotowire. We are here to break down everything DFS in the world of golf this week, and it is the WGC Dell Technologies match play, and this one is a different animal for a lot of reasons. It's different for the players, different for the fans, different for the betters, and certainly different for the DFS players. And Len, I'm going to start by just giving you the platform right now because I saw a tweet from you earlier about game theory this week on DFS as far as picking players and sort of how to navigate through putting together a lineup for the match play. Bring it because I thought your tweet was fantastic and I want you to elaborate here. Great. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, it's a fun week. It's exciting. I started to look back at it. I remembered how much fun it was last year. I'm looking for aggressive players. We're going hole by hole where a double bogey or something can throw a guy out of the tournament and miss the cut most weeks. It's just one hole this week. So looking for aggressive players, take chances. That's the first thing. Then I look at each group, the 16 groups, if I can call it a pod or whatever. Try and find a weakness there. Who are some of the good players? It's the luck of the draw. So I try and find who might be able to get out of his individual, his round robin group first. And ultimately, I think it's wise to find six guys in six different groups to give you the best shot to keep going. I think the other way is a more conservative play. Six guys to get out of their group and then find three guys on each side of the draw to give you to maximize the most chance to get to the semifinals and the finals. That is a very aggressive way to play. I think it's a fun way to play this week. Yeah, really smart stuff. Like I said, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. I'd like to think that most people are sort of thinking in those terms already anyway, but it makes sense to not have two guys in the same group, to not have five guys on the same side of the draw, even if they're in different groups, and then really only have one guy potentially to get to the finals from the other side of the draw. You'd like to go three and three to give yourself the best chance. Think of it in terms of March Madness from the NCAA tournament, you wouldn't say, well, if I'm just picking six different teams, let me pick five teams from these two regions and just one team from the other two regions. You want to split it up a little bit better. So that makes a whole lot of sense. All right. Now let's get to who we can actually pick in these different groups. I don't want to necessarily break down every single group. I think people hear that everywhere, but why it Start with some of the plays that you think are smart plays. Look at the top. We've got Rahm at 11.3, Scheffler actually at 11,000, Thomas at 10.7, Morikow at 10.5, Hovland at 10.3, Cantley 10.2, and Dustin Johnson at 10,000. Looking at those players, are there a couple of them that you look at and say that they're more likely to come out of their group than I think so, players? yeah. And of course, it's always anything can happen. It's sports and golf. But I like John Rahm a lot right off the bat. Just looking at his group, I'll try and go through it quickly. He's with Patrick Reed, Cameron Young, and Sebastian Munoz. Reed normally, I think, would be a bulldog. We know him in the Ryder Cup. He's fierce. He's a tough competitor. I think normally he could be dangerous, and he could be, but he's just not playing very well. Cameron Young, a very good, young, aggressive player, but new to this format, and Sebastian Munoz, 
candidly, no one's really afraid of him. Not only do I like Rom there, but in his quarter, the other top seeds are Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, and Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau, pretty much a wild card. We don't know what we're going to get with him. Haven't seen him in two months. DJ, not playing his best. He's shown some flashes. Kepka, he's the lowest of the top 16 seeds. So I think that whole quarter of the draw, the bracket, shapes up very nicely for John Rom. That makes a whole lot of sense, Len. I think that's really smart. I've got Rom coming out of that group one as well. I would like to see some combination of Patrick Reed's fire and intensity and Cameron Young or Sebastian Munoz's form. And I think if you had that combination in a singular player, they could beat Rom this week, but they're not the same player. And so I just don't know if any one of those players has enough to knock him out of that group. My favorite play from these guys, 10,000 more is Justin Thomas. And I tried to go through the whole matchup. I did not come in with preconceived notions of saying, hey, my favorite player this week is so-and-so and I'm going to pick him. It was, let's go through all the brackets. Let's go through match by match and figure out who we like. And at the end of it, I just happen to wind up having Justin Thomas go all the way through. I know it's a tough group. He's with Kevin Kisner, Mark Leishman, and Luke List. That's not an easy one whatsoever, but I feel like maybe a little too much is going to be made about Kevin Kisner playing well lately. He's won this tournament in the past. Luke List hasn't been great. Mark Leishman hasn't been great lately. And so I look at that and say, I think there's pretty good equity on Justin Thomas. And trust me, he wants it to happen. There's some superstars in this field this week that not that they don't want to play well, but maybe they're looking ahead saying five days, seven matches, two weeks before the Masters starts. Not really my favorite idea of how I want to prep for this one. Justin Thomas wants a trophy no matter how they'll give him one, and he's going to get after it this week, so I do like him. That is a very bold pick. I wouldn't call that little four-man group the group of death like we see in the World Cup, but it seems to be the closest one. That one scared me. I will tell you, if you are right, Justin Thomas can get through there. He might have to face Spieth in the next round, but after that, if he can get by there, I think he's got some clear sailing there. So that pick may work out. That is completely on the other side from John Rahm. So uh, that would be a hell of a final, John Rahm and Justin Thomas. Kisner does scare me, and Leishman even has a little bit of success. But Kisner, yes, every year we see Kisner play well in the match play, and then come the Ryder Cup calls 20 (laughs) minutes later. I want to remind those out there that there are four pools of which to take players. And so there's one A player, one B player, a C player, and a D player in each group. So sort of like your usual Friday afternoon men's game where you've got one player from each of the handicap rankings, so to speak, and you're all playing together. That's what we do at my club. I want to remind everyone that last year from that pool A, the 16 top players in the seedings, only one player, John Rahm, advanced to the next round, yet eight players from pool D, the lowest ranked players in the field, half of them advanced to the next round. And so if you're looking at this right now, going over the DFS lineups going, what am I supposed to do? I really like Rom and Scheffler and JT and Morikawa and Hovland. I think these guys are all going to win. It doesn't usually work that way. If the NCAA tournament is chalky compared to the way this one works out and that one is not chalky at all. So let's get to the 9,000s between Daniel Berger, Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Tyrrell Hatton, Paul Casey, and Louis Ustazen. I have exactly two of these players advancing, so I know who I like 
from this range. What about you, Len? The thing that stands out for me is that two of them are in the same four-man group, and that's Tyrrell Hatton and Daniel Berger. And Hatton, we've seen play well in this tournament before a number of times. Berger is a pretty conservative player. A lot of times during the Florida swing, I pointed to Daniel Berger, very low bogey avoidance. Well, that's completely the opposite of what we're looking for this week. So that is a tough little group there of the two of them, along with uh, Siwoo Kim and Christian Bezidenhut. I know he's your guy and you know how to pronounce mm-hmm. it better than me. I'll try and leave him for you. But, uh, yeah, Club Bez. But anyway, so I do like Hatton coming out of that group there. Well, at 9,600 is Xander Shoffley. He's back on the other side. He looks to me to be in a pretty easy group. And I know based on what you just said, that guys win when they shouldn't win. It's not the NCAAs. It's not tennis with Nadal facing the number 100 guy in the world or anything like that. But Shoffley is in with Tony Finau, not playing his best, plus two other guys, if I can call them that, Lucas Herbert and Takumi Kanaya. I mean, Xander Shoffley really should get out of that group. And I do like him. Those are the two guys in the nines that really stand out for me. So we have two different guys. Now, I'm with you on Xander Shoffley. I think he's got the easiest of the 16 groups to get out of. I just felt like that's also maybe a value play for a lower ranked player. And so I just went to Kumi Kanaya just for the hell of, you know, hey, maybe uh, this guy who's the former world number one ranked amateur player before he turned professional. Maybe this is his coming out party this week. I don't necessarily love what I've seen from Xander lately anyway, so I was looking for some value there. You mentioned Berger and Hatton playing against each other. That'll be a Friday match. Friday afternoon, it could be fireworks. I could see that one becoming intense. I could see that one being combustible. If we had odds on who's going to yell at their opponent, who's going to you know get in a little bit of a, a scuffle here, Berger and Hatton would be a good bet for that one. I've got Berger to beat Hatton, but I said it would become an extra holes. And I think it's going to be really, really close. So I could go either way there. And then the other guy I do like, and maybe it's the golf gods shining down on him a little bit because we saw how they did not help him out towards the end of the players championship is Paul Casey. Paul Casey's playing some really nice golf right now. I do think that he can go out there and make a lot of birdies at 9,100. He's in a group where he's got a bunch of just ball strikers. I mean, it is just going to be some stellar iron play in that group, but I think he can out iron everybody else in that one. And I do like Paul Casey. In fact, I've got Paul Casey going all the way to the semifinals in my bracket. So I will have a decent amount of Casey this week. All right. Working our way down to the eight thousands, Jordan Spieth playing in his college hometown, Billy Horschel, who is the defending champion, of course, Matt Fitzpatrick, who's played terrific this year. Same with Joaquin Neiman, Will Zalatoris, Shane Lowry, Sergio Garcia, Sung J M. Adam Scott and Tommy Fleetwood. Len, I can see a whole lot of lineups out there saying, I'm going to go with that steady sort of mid-level lineup. I'm going to just load up on guys in those mid-8,000 range and just try to see if I can pick off five or six guys that advance. There are two guys in the eights, and I can certainly see that happening. You know, there's something to be said for not spending 10 or 11,000 where there's so much variance in this tournament. But I do like Jordan Spieth, at least to get out of his group, He does not have another top 30 seed. He's the 11th seed. This is not world rankings. This is seedings. He doesn't have another top 30 seed 
in his group, Adam Scott, 32, Justin Rose, 46, and Keegan Bradley way up at about 60. So I do like Jordan Speed. Jordan Speed has played well in this tournament before. He won his group last year, made it out into the round of 16. He would have a tough next round if to maybe face Thomas or Kisner. So it might only be just getting out of the group for Jordan Speed. And then Shane Lowry back on the other side. He's in the group with Brooks Kepka. I say it often in a lot of places. Kepka can be great. Kepka could be not great. We never know which Brooks Kepka is going to show up. And the other two people in that group, Harold Varner and Eric Von Royen, Royen won his group last year, so he's not to be dismissed. But I do like Shane Lowry at a very affordable price. 8400 I want to touch on one more guy, not a guy I'm picking, but you mentioned Matt Fitzpatrick. He is really in a loaded group with Scotty Scheffler, finalist last year, playing as well as anyone on the planet. Tommy Fleetwood playing super well now through Florida and has been a good match play guy. And Ian Poulter, who's won this tournament, and we know him from the Ryder Cup. That is one tough group right there. That might be, Len, the group of death right there. If we're going to name one of them the group of death, yeah. it might be group six right there with those guys. You mentioned Fleetwood's name, and I'll start there because there are two guys in the 8,000s that I have coming out of their groups, and I don't feel great about this. Shane Lowry, you make a really good point about. I could jump on that, but I'm going to talk about another guy in group 16 that I like a little bit more in just a few minutes. But Tommy Fleetwood, I feel like this event comes at a good place for where his game is right now because I don't think he's quite ready to go out there and win against 140, 150 other players in a big field event. But I do think that on a given day where Tommy Fleetwood's game is right now, can he beat the guy across the tee box from him? Yeah, absolutely. He's playing some decent golf. And so I think the timing of this just works probably well for Tommy Fleetwood. And then I look at Sergio Garcia, and we've all seen Sergio over the years. When Sergio isn't that into an event, when he isn't that into going out there and playing his best, he can just not be into it and it won't be a good result. When Sergio is inspired, motivated, enthused about playing, it's a totally different story. He's going to be playing in his adopted hometown of Austin with a lot of family and friends in attendance this week. He made it to the quarterfinals last year. I like another, at least a semi-title run for Sergio getting into the weekend this week. So you look at his results lately and I know we haven't heard much from Sergio, but not bad. I mean, 26th at the players, 38th at the API, 39th at the Genesis, 7th at Mayakoba late last year. I mean, it's been okay. I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but it's okay. It's decent. And so I do think that Sergio in this format can play some decent golf. All right, get down to the 7,000s. I'm going to throw out a handful of names here, but my favorite guy on the board is listed right here at 7,700. I just think that he got super lucky. We talked about Xander Shoffley being lucky with his group. Taylor Gooch is in a group, and I was looking for a guy to take some value in Bryson's group because we all know Bryson's coming back from an injury. Not a great course for him, even if he's 100% healthy. But Taylor Gooch is in there as the B-pooler alongside Lee Westwood and Richard Bland. Neither Westwood or Bland do a whole lot for me this week. Taylor Gooch is a guy that I can see just steamrolling his way to Saturday. And I think he owns a lot of value as part of Bryson's group this week. Yeah, I'm with you. Gooch actually is one of my picks as well for pretty much the same reason. DeChambeau hurt the other two guys. Eh, he was in the match play last year, didn't do much, but there haven't been many players over the past 12 months who've become so much better players 
than Taylor Gooch. I mean, somebody like Sam Burns, maybe Cam Smith, but Taylor Gooch is somewhere around fifth or sixth, maybe on that list. So I do like him a lot. Anybody else in the seven thousands that you look at and go, okay, that's a guy that I have to get after this week. I'm going to have him in, in a lot of lineups. I do like two other guys in the sevens and one would play Gooch if Gooch advanced Max Homa at the identical price of Mm. 7,700. Again, for similar reasons in with Dustin Johnson, Dustin Johnson could win this tournament. We've seen him win it. We see him do great. He can go on fire, but he just hasn't been doing it. And to expect it to happen this week. Well, I'm going to guess that it won't Matthew Wolf and Mac Hughes uh, in the group. Mackenzie Hughes does scare me a little bit. This is the only group where I really focused on more than one guy in the same group. Anytime that match play can turn into a putting contest, a great putter can win. Mackenzie Hughes is a great putter. He got out of a group with Paul Casey, Webb Simpson, and Taylor Gooch last year. So Mackenzie Hughes, getting ahead of ourselves, he's going to, we'll talk about him in a minute, back at the 6,000s. And Brian Harmon has done very well in this tournament. Interesting group, the four guys, Abraham Answer, Webb Simpson, Brian Harmon, Bubba Watson, former champion, all separated by only $700. That is the tightest group there is. I like Brian Harmon there a lot. He was a quarterfinalist a year ago. Yeah, that's not a bad one. In fact, uh, the betting numbers show the same thing that that group was a group 15, I believe. Answer, Simpson, Watson and Harmon are bunched together. They're probably the most well-rounded group right there. At 6,000, I want to stick with this for a minute because there are a whole bunch of guys I like from this range. And maybe I'm just trying to see lightning strike twice. And I saw a whole lot of pool D players advance last year. And maybe I'm hoping for that again. But Keegan Bradley is in that group of four major champions with Spieth and Scott and Rose. I think Keegan Bradley's done enough to show us that he can certainly advance from that group this year. Thomas Peters is a guy that I absolutely love this week. He's up to 31st in the world. Talk about playing aggressively. Talk about taking chances. Talk about having a lot of offensive firepower. This year is all things that we see from Thomas Peters and hasn't played his best golf since coming over to the U.S. three starts ago. But I like Thomas Peters a whole lot this week for a lot of uh, different reasons, but especially because of that aggressive nature. He can make some birdies and bunches. And I look at Harold Varner as well. Harold Varner, what's the thing we always say about him over the last couple of years? Well, he always gets himself into contention. He's good enough to get there on the weekend. Then, oh, man, he just blows up. He makes a double or a triple somewhere untimely and falls out of contention. Well, here, go make your triple, Harold. No one really cares. You can be up three, make a triple. The other guy makes birdie, and now you're up two. It doesn't really matter that much in this format. He is in 11th, tied for 11th this season in birdie average on the PGA Tour. I think that goes a long way at this event. So I like Varner as well, Len. And then I'll throw in one last one. Last guy in the field who might have heard some whispers last night because he withdrew from the alternate field in Putaconda and came over to Austin, maybe knowing that Sam Burns was going to withdraw. But Maverick McNeely literally playing with nothing to lose this week. And I kind of like a guy in that situation. He's a really good player. Matt McNeely at 6,200, that's awfully cheap for him this week. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, that maybe Burns did McNeely a favor and said, you know, don't get on the plane just yet. Don't pack. There are going to be some 6,000s that make it through. There are three guys I like. I did mention Mackenzie Hughes a moment ago. He's only 6,400. I think he's got a tough group, but when you've got a guy who got out of his group Last year at 6,400 and a guy who can get hot with the putter, which could decide this whole tournament. I like Matt Hughes at 64. I also like Kevin Na. 
lot at 6,600. He's in an interesting group with Joaquin Neiman, Russell Henley, and McNeely, as you just mentioned. Certainly good players, but Henley and Neiman have never gotten out of their round. I think Neiman's only done it once, but Henley's been in a few times. McNeely is new to the tournament. So Kevin Na at 6,600. And going against you, I guess, because looking down in the group with Billy Horschel, Thomas Peters, who you like, Tom Hoagie, and Minwoo Lee, I like Tom Hoagie because I just think that Horschel is one of the weaker of the top seeds. Peters certainly could thrive or he could implode. Min Lee, we don't know much about him. But Tom Hoagie, very impressive to me early in the season. He looked very tenacious on the course, really looked like he didn't back down to anyone, just playing well. And the conditions are right where he could steal a win here and get out of his group. He's $6,800. All right. I like it. I can't wait to get to our DFS lineup that we make every single week here on the pod because this one could go absolutely anywhere. Len, I have a feeling if we did the podcast a hundred different times this week, <laughs> we'd come up with a hundred different lineups and uh, not one of them would be anywhere near the one before it. So why don't you kick it off for us and go with your first play in the lineup this week? I guess I do have to go with John Rahm. I said he would win his group. I think he could win his quarter. I think once that happens, he could win the whole thing. Even though John Rahm is way up there and he's going to be chewing up a lot of our budget, I do think there is a lot to like there about John Rahm. Things could really fall in place for him here. John Rahm right off the bat. I like that. I'm going to go with a guy who's a little mid-priced and my favorite play to get out of his group, group nine. I just think Taylor Gooch could roll through this. I love the fact he was the last man in the field at this event last year. Didn't play great, but at least got some experience in this format, got some experience on this golf course. And so in a group with DeChambeau, Westwood and Bland, I think Taylor Gooch moves on. Good play. Good play. I'll go right below him mid-range. Brian Harmon, a real bulldog, really tenacious on the course. He can even compete on some of the longer tracks. And we saw him compete here a year ago. We haven't really talked about the longer hitters. Kind of have an advantage here, I think. Not impossible because we have seen Kisner win here. We have seen Horschel win here. But I think the edge does go to the longer hitters. But Brian Harmon in a group without any superstars. Answer, Webb Simpson not playing well. Bubba Watson could do well. But I like Brian Harmon at 76. Yeah, I like that. All right, I'm going to go for a higher price player who I mentioned earlier that I didn't have him advancing, but that's more about the betting value of trying to find somebody else below him. If you look at it, we talked about him having maybe the weakest group of the 16, and it'd be really tough to envision Xander Shoffley not moving forward at 9,600. I'd expect him to be a popular play this week, but for good reason. No argument there. So we're going to be in the sixes, and I just think the best value really for me is Mackenzie Hughes. He's the cheapest guy on my list at $6,400. He beat some good guys last year and got out of his group. He's not playing great right now by any means, but with his short game, just needs to get hot and play well to justify his price. I could see him getting out of his group with DJ and Homa and struggling Matthew Wolf, 6,400 Mac Hughes. I'm going to admit, Len, that we started off this pod by talking about having balance on either side of the draw, and I'm not looking at the draw right now as we're making this lineup, and we could be going completely against it. I'm not sure, but I'm going to give you my last pick. We have 7,400 left, and I'm going to leave some money on the table, which I don't think is a bad idea this week. I'm going to go down to 68 and go with Thomas Peters. I mentioned his firepower, his aggressive nature. Look, this could blow up. This is a high risk, high reward type of play, uh, high ceiling, low floor 
for Thomas Peters. But look, if you're betting anyway, you're taking a chance. I think Peters is a guy who could flame out. He could lose his first match, get really mad, get frustrated, want to get out of there. Or he could just start throwing birdies up from all over the place and really advance with a guy that shouldn't have ownership that's too high this week. So we've got Taylor Gooch, Brian Harmon, Mackenzie Hughes, Thomas Peters, John Rom, Xander Shoffley. What do you think? We have four guys on one side, two on the other. Okay, okay. Uh, that's going to happen. That's not terrible. That's not six and nothing, not five and one. It does terrify me that we really have not talked much about Scotty Scheffler. He's in that really tough group. But if he gets out of that group and someone's going to get out of that group, that kind of scares me. But I do like who we have. And I think we're giving people some good information to think about, at least strategy-wise, whether they agree with our picks or not. I think so too. And remember, if you didn't write it down before, go back to the beginning of the pod, rewind and go listen to Len talk about game theory for this week because it's so important in making your DFS lineups. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of the Links and Lots podcast. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Subscribe, download, rate, and yes, listen to us every single week. For Len Hochberg, I'm Jason Sobel. Good luck with all your DFS lineups this week. Here's hoping you guys hit the green.